The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison. Now, today we're delving into job management platforms and talking to a company called Geo. It's a New Zealand listed company with a market cap of just over 15 million Kiwi dollars. The company is essentially a platform for tradies and home services. NZX code is GEO. Tim Malloy, the CEO of Geo, joins us now. Tim, welcome. Thank you very much, Oriel. I'm pleased to be here. Now, I wanted to jump right into your career because you've certainly gone far. You've gone from real estate to investing and, of course, to running this platform. Tell us how you got here. Tell us a bit about yourself. Um, Oriel, I, I grew up in New Zealand, a Kiwi boy. I'm in a farming community. Um, I knew farming and sport and I then got interested in economics and through that got interested in businesses that grow. I, I was really lucky to, in my early career, get involved with some real high growth businesses. Kentucky was one of them. I was the marketing manager for that business. And then progressively the theme through my career is finding businesses that have that are good businesses, good platforms, et cetera, but just need to get a spurt or get get a growth trajectory. And I and yeah, I've done that over and over again. Um, I had my I've owned my own software businesses. I was with MYB when Archer Capital bought that business for four hundred and eighty mil and we sold it two and a half years later for one point two billion. So that was an example of a big one. I've spent some time with Macquarie. We we bought a business up in Queensland actually called Console and and I got put in there as the turnaround CEO for a couple of years as well. So the thing that I really like, Aurel, is finding businesses where the product's good, the idea's really good, and it just needs to be pulled together to make a really good business. Taking Geo out of the equation for this particular question just for the moment, but what's your favourite business that you've turned around? Probably the one that I owned wholly myself, which is a business called Exonet. Again, a New Zealand business, but I was based in Australia for that, as I am now. Um, And that was a business for mid-size businesses. If you think MYB and Quicken at the bottom end, um, Oriel, and you think SAP and Oracle at the top end, we were smack in the middle and we were really, really good at at um, stock control, uh, multiple warehouse, multiple point of sale, that sort of stuff. The, the turnaround that I enjoyed about that was that, that that was where we really cut our teeth and listening hard to the customer and and using that to bring it back into the product and, and defining the product roadmap for that. Um, it took four and a half years or five years to do that and we eventually sold that business to MYOB. So when you come into a business and you look to turn it around, um, obviously the first thing you do is analyse exactly how the company works, how the management works, you know, and look into the business and all the processes um, that are involved in running that business. What's the most difficult thing that you have to do? Um, well, funnily enough, we start at a slightly different point. We start off by saying, what's the product and what's the market and who are they and and what's that product market fit? And 
and and what's the economic advantage that our customers get from that particular product and then that leads us to the bit that you just talked about which is so how do we get to that market how do we make sure that when we're spending a dollar of our our investors capital that we're aiming directly at getting those customers and no others and then we say how do we need to be organized to do that and then we ask questions like what needs to be true to retain those customers etc therefore how do we need to be organized out and you know if it's a software company how do we need to be organized out in the factory where we actually produce the software so the favorite bit for me is the people bit, um, getting everybody aligned to that story, um, understanding where we want to head as a business and then cascading that down to every single bit of the business and, and getting everybody aligned. And, and so the bit I enjoy actually isn't so much about whether it's the marketing bit or the or the customer bit or the product bit. Or it's more about the people bit um, and getting everybody aligned to that. Would I be right in suggesting, Tim, that's also the most uh, difficult part of uh, reorganization reorganizing a business it can be but most people want to belong you know if we sort of get down to the core things about why do people work i mean it always the obvious answer is well they need money but but actually most people work because they also want to belong they want to feel valued they want to feel like there's purpose and that they're aiming at something and that they're on a journey etc not, not everybody wants to climb the, the the ladder you know in terms of promotions some people want to extend their professional capabilities in in their chosen field so sort of getting all of that aligned with the company and getting people to understand the company's purpose with that in mind is is actually it's not all that hard it's much more it, it is hard to um, sort of get the company's objectives really sorted clearly and then and then the next bit is getting everybody just aligned to that. And most people really, really like it because it gives people purpose. It gives people a, you know, a sense of meaning in, in their day-to-day jobs. So let's talk about Geo then. Um, Tim, you've been called an internet entrepreneur um, among, you know, um, many other complimentary um, things. What makes you so excited about Geo? There's an aching need there, Oriel. Um, when we look at our target market, which is tradies and home services businesses, about 60, 65% of those businesses are still using pen and paper to run their businesses. They're still taking their bookings on and writing it in a, in a notebook. Um, their quotes, they're, they're, they're getting back to people on their quotes with using Microsoft Word or the like, or they're taking their appointments and putting it in a, in a jotting it on a bit of paper and putting it down by the gear stick in the Hilux. So, so there's a big nascent market there for our product. And, and, and that's the exciting bit is that we know that when our customers adopt our product, that it actually makes their life easier. It makes it, 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 it helps them at home because it's typically their partner at home who's doing all the quoting and the admin work. So it just, it just makes their life easier. So that's the bit that gets us out of bed in the morning is helping people be able to take that transition from running a paper-based business to running a systematized business. I'm interested to see what sort of impact COVID has on the business. I mean, initially we know that uh, early COVID lockdowns were negative um, for you, but that seems to have turned around. And in fact, when you look at your numbers, five of the six largest new customer months were delivered in the second half. That's right. And 
I think that was two things. It was certainly COVID, which, I, which I'm really interested. We're happy to have a conversation about that. But the other part of it is that that was really a reflection of the fact that we just got better organised as a business too, and we're we're now hitting our straps in terms of being able to grow. But COVID was an interesting story, Oriol, because we we all know what happened in the first wave of COVID. Everybody was scared. The economy got the jitters. Um, most most business, a lot of businesses either closed down or went into hibernation. Certainly. Everybody pulled back on expenditure. A lot of people lost their jobs. Um, a lot of companies that were employing people were asking their employees to take a 20% pay cut during the period, etc. And, and we were no different. We, we were the same. We were unsure about what was going to happen. But actually what happened in our particular market for tradies and home services businesses, the first thing that happened was everybody was locked down at home. So the bathroom was being used 10 times, 20 times more than usual. And so cleaners all of a sudden got a big in, um, um, lift up, if you like, because you know, people at home were saying, I need my place clean. The next thing that was happening was people were at home and saying, well, if I'm going to sit in this room all day and it's my home office, I'm going to paint it. So painters um, got a lift up. And then the next thing people started to say as well, you know what, I'm not going on that overseas holiday or I haven't been, you know, away to Cairns this year like I usually do with the family. So I've got some discretionary spend and I'm therefore going to start doing the renovations. So today, what, what we saw during the first part of COVID is, we saw some of our customers would reduce the number of user licenses they had, but quite quickly after the lockdown finished, we saw that they bounced back and actually were doing even better than they were before. And we've seen that successively as, for example, Melbourne lockdown or then Sydney lockdown or New Zealand lockdown and then came out. We've seen exactly the same pattern happening um, every single time. Um, at a macroeconomic level, it's really interesting because, of course, globally, um, fiscal stimulus is, you know, there's been government money pumped into economies around the world. There's been high levels of savings and um, there's been increased levels of discretionary spend at a household level. So those three planets have got in, in line, if you like, for businesses like ours. What happens once lockdowns ease this time around? Because obviously we've got two fairly different situations. You know, when 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 COVID seemingly started to ease a couple of months ago, you know, we saw the economy rebounding back really quite quickly. Um, there's some doubt that it's going to happen the same way this time around. Yes, and it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because of course, the first time we had a, a sort of a binary outcome, if you like, in that we were in lockdown and then we weren't. Mm. With this Delta version, it sort of seems like we're going to come out in a more gradual way and a slightly more unfolding way. So that that is giving people, I think, a little less certainty about when does it end? Because in fact, you know, and and we're getting our politicians telling us we're we're going to have to get used to living with COVID, but. What we know in our business, though, is that, um, you know, households, are, ha there are large levels of savings in households and and people are uh, wanting to spend more money on, on themselves and on their household as opposed to, for example, traveling overseas. So, you know, we're seeing in our little bit of the economy that actually it will continue charging on even after... Um, COVID lockdowns finished. In fact, when COVID lockdowns finished, we, that's where we see a little bit of a surge in people using our platform. Okay, let's talk about where to from here for Geo. You, you said before that you're in a growth phase. 
Um, a lot of this, I believe, is centred on your uh, your next generation app, GeoNext. Um, tell us where you're at and 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 where you're going. Sure. So, our, you know, this is a, a classic turnaround story, um, Oriel, where you know the first phase is get the business organised, which is what we did last year. All those things I was telling, saying before about you know getting a pr- good quality product, market fit, understanding that, understanding how we go to market and who we talk to, understanding in a very zen-like way how we have conversations with our our target market, et cetera. The second phase is the growth phase, and there's two parts to that typically in these sort of turnarounds. The first phase is establishing that growth. That's what happened with us in the last financial year. We got some really good quality numbers coming through last year. Quarter one last year, we were 50% up on the prior year. Quarter two, we were 124% up on the same quarter of the prior prior year quarter three we were 279 percent up on the prior period and quarter four we were 292 percent up so there was really good quality growth coming through the business so that's the first phase of the growth thing the second phase of the growth is accelerate that even more so sure we're a public listed company you can buy us on the new zealand stock exchange under nzx geo but um we're a small cap and the team that we've now got running this business, Oriel, is is a team that's able to run a business that's five or ten times bigger than this, and that's our ambition. The next phase then is accelerating those learnings. We get about eighty percent of our, um, oh, sorry, eighty two percent of our um, business comes from Australia and New Zealand, which means about um, sorry eighty four percent, about sixteen percent comes from um, overseas, and about eight percent comes from the UK. So we're now starting to accelerate our presence in the UK, and we're accelerating um, taking more and more customers on board in our more traditional markets of Australia and New Zealand as well. What does this international expansion look like? Um, Tim, in more detail, I mean, you've talked about UK, um, but you're in other markets as well. So how quickly can you scale up internationally? Quite quickly, as it turns out. I mean, the old way of going to a new market like the UK was someone climbed on an aeroplane and then arrived and then set up an office and and then employed some people and then did some market analysis, et cetera, and then started doing the work. So you had a whole lot of upfront costs before you then started getting customers. We're able to now... um, effectively allocate someone to be looking after the UK sitting somewhere else in the world. Um, We have a team in Manila, for example, and we've got a couple of people allocated to looking after the UK. Um, We're able to then turn up our digital advertising spend in the UK, make sure that we're seen to be local by being by answering the phone calls during the UK business hours and dealing with customers just as though we were living in London. And so our cost of getting going, our overhead costs of getting over are already established in our normal business. So really the incremental costs for us are the digital spend and we're able to turn that on in a sort of a in a, in a gradual way. We need to learn, but we can start turning it on in about a four to five week period, which we've done. And then it takes about probably another three to four months to to really fine-tune it and learn because every single market is slightly different. But um, certainly in a digital world, we're able to turn those things on a lot more easily than used to in an, in an analogue world. How much, more, how much more important is it, Tim, that you're actually on the ground in a physical sense when you're expanding internationally in, in, in countries with very different cultures, for example? It's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because it, um, it used to be really important, but it's not so important now. I mean, even if we think about our customers in 
Melbourne. We're, we're not on the ground in Melbourne, and yet we deal with our customers in Melbourne as though we were, as though we were local. Um, and so, and, and I think the COVID lockdowns globally have all taught us about dealing with each other either over Zoom or, or um, you know, or, or, or like we're doing at the moment, or you're in Queensland and I'm in Sydney. Um, and so I think the world is a lot more attuned to dealing with people. Um, the, the real key, I think, is that you need to be present. And that doesn't necessarily mean physically present. It just means you need to be there when the customers want to talk to you. And that means in their time zone. So back in 2020, Tim, um, you did a $2 million capital raise. Mm -hmm. What comes next in terms of your funding calendar um, when it comes to this growth phase that you're in and the international expansion and so forth that we've been talking about? Okay, so our capital strategy has been based on, if I go back a little before that, is um, the company's actually been around for quite a while, but it hasn't ever really got its act together and, and hit its straps. So I think we're now doing that. We were able to show a group of investors last year that we knew what we were doing, that we knew what we were talking about. And we we raised, as you as you um, said, Aura, we raised that $2 million at about 6.5 cents a share. The share price is now hovering around 13 or 14 cents. So those investors have doubled their money in a year. And they're happy. And so in talking to those investors, and we keep them pretty close, um, we, we know who they are and, and so forth, um, most of those people are ready to follow on um, when when we say that we're ready to accept the next um, bit of capital. The interesting thing for a business like ours is that um, some of these sort of SaaS businesses pr project themselves in the marketplace as being a business that is aiming towards a break-even. But some of them, and perhaps this is more our investment thesis, is to say we have a large nascent market. We know that when we spend a dollar of capital that we can to acquire customers, we can acquire customers profitably. And that's evidenced by our LTV to CAC ratio. So lifetime value to cost of acquisition. And traditionally in SaaS businesses, if you're above three, then you're acquiring customers profitably. So if you've got a large market, and you can acquire them profitably. And then the third ingredient, show that you can grow. In our case, last year, our annualized run rate for new customers was around 24% at the end of the year. If you can get those three figures aligned, which we have, investors will follow you quickly and easily. So you've got the, those investors, um, many of them, as you said, sitting ready when you choose to raise. When do you expect that to be? We we keep that a little close to our chest, or um, for two reasons. One is we're a public listed company, and so we we can't really say anything to one group of investors that we haven't said to the whole market overall. Um, but the other thing is that um, we're in, we're in a slightly competitive environment here too. So all I really can say is that we're confident now about having a very good supportive shareholder base. Um, they're now right in behind the story and the idea that we're growing and that we and, and that we're happily dissatisfied with where we're at. Um, happy in that we've now got the growth rate, but dissatisfied because we're all used to running companies that are much bigger than this oil and uh, and that's where we're going to take it. So we, we're pretty comfortable and the investors will follow when we're ready. So talking about investments, you're planning to double your investment in customer acquisition marketing um, throughout this current financial year, yeah. what is that going to achieve? Effectively, it's a straight through um, in that when we double the 
um, the digital marketing component of our marketing. And bear in mind, Oral, too, that we've already got our fixed costs covered in our go-to-market. Uh, you know, we've got a marketing director. We've got our, um, our, our digital marketing people, et cetera, et cetera. So when we increase or double, we're talking about doubling that bit that is spent out in the marketplace attracting new leads. We, we, we've got our cost per lead down from, you know, north of – you know, um, up around circa $150 a, a year ago per lead, now down to around 65 per lead. So we know that when we invest another dollar of marketing in our um, in that pipeline, we know at, at, at a 3.2 um, LTV to CAC, and that will get better, we know that we can acquire customers profitably. So it's a straight through. Each time we double it, we get double the number of customers coming in the door. Now, the, the reason why that's a good story is because it's still a very large market and there's still a lot of the marketplace are still transitioning. It's a bit like the zero story was in its early days where, you know, it was often portrayed that they were they were acquiring customers from MYB, but actually they weren't. They were mostly acquiring customers in their early days from very little businesses that were transitioning from pen and paper. Again, another nascent market. And we're, we're doing a similar sort of, and I'm not saying we're going to be like zero, but I'm I'm saying that the go-to-market is very similar to that. That wouldn't be all bad, um, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the most exciting thing that we can look forward to from Geo over the next six to 12 months? More c- continuing with our predictability. Um, continuing to be predictable in what we do and how we do it, um, continuing to see those growth rates. Um, we, we had, like I said, a 24% growth rate. We, 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 we've got the business on a footing now, era where, where we say what we are going to do and then we do it and then we tell people we've done that. So we said last year that we would have a 20 to 30% annualised growth rate. We hit 24 We've said for the future, though, we intend to this next year to have that growth rate around 40%. And we're, we're, we're trending towards that. We said that we would have around a 90 to 92% um, um, annual retention rate, and we achieved 90.5, which is world's, world class for a SaaS um, company. So we're continuing with that same KPI for next year, 90 to 92%. And we said that we were targeting. An LTV to CAC ratio of three to four. We achieved three point two, and we're saying to the marketplace that we'll um, achieve greater than four next year. And so I'm confident that that we're on track to do that. So the most exciting thing actually is um, predictability that we're going to do. We say what we're going to do, and we're going to go and do it. Such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Oral. Thanks for the conversation. Tim Malloy with us there. And of course, as always, thanks to all of our supporters. You are listening to Stock Insiders with me, Aurel Morrison. We'll see you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Aurel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.